Communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome everyone to episode 76 of Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Peter Viox, and please allow me to introduce my co-host, Mr. Rick Villanueva. Well, hello, everybody. Happy Star Wars Day to all of you and to my friend Peter. How are you? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I've been looking forward to this Star Wars Day because it has been one of those awful work weeks. And this just was like a little beacon right at the end. Just Star Wars Day, man. Star Wars Day is where it's at. So happy Star Wars Day to you. And we're not alone today. So please allow me to introduce the one, the only, Miss Eden Gray. How you doing? Hi, I'm great. I'm Happy here. Star Wars Day. Happy Star Wars Day. Hey, Eden. Hey. So what's new with you, Eden? What's been going on with you? Um, I got a present. It's a Tatooine Showdown Star Wars Episode 1 figure. Oh, man, she's set. been clutching this. I love it. <laughs> since, since we hit record, she's been sitting there squirming in her chair, clutching this thing. Yeah. Tell us what this is. This is sweet. It's amazing. It's, it's Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and Anakin. And some like rock play sets, like just just a couple of a couple of rocks. This thing is really heavy. Um, I kind of want one to open, but this one's in really good shape. It's it's an Episode One original figure from Hasbro. It's fantastic. It's Darth Maul is swinging his lightsaber, and his cloak is billowing majestically. Like there's so much detail, you can see all of all of the folds and pleats, and the sleeves are flying everywhere. And then Qui Gon swinging his lightsaber, and his little sand poncho is flying everywhere. And it comes with a Comtech chip, which I don't think says much. That's interesting, but the chip is in there. Yay! You know, what's really interesting about that one, and that's a episode one, like little figure pack. It, it's probably about a foot long and maybe about two or three inches deep. Um, it is, it's really hard to find those with the Comtech chip in the spot that it's supposed to be. It's, so, it's such a ridiculous design. They're like, there's the background of, of the, the box. You've got, you know, sandy background and blue sky and... There's a piece of, of plastic stuck to the back and then it shoots out like a like a tiny handle and it comes all the way to the front, like three, four inches 
of depth of this plastic thing holding the Comtech chip, they could have just attached it to the front of the box. Why didn't they just attach it to the front of the box? Such a better design. But you should now, write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why they're they're hard to find with the Comtech chip still stuck in this precarious little plastic mountain. Um, but this one is, and it's very beautiful. Man, someone really badass must have got you that gift. <laughs> Who could that be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're looking on eBay for those guys, almost every single one is either beat the fuck up or it's missing the Comtech chip or it's in there. It's just like flopping around and you can shake the case and it sounds like a magic A ball. Yeah, that's not okay. I take I need my Comtech chips are, are much more important than that. What's so. interesting also about that is it's it's still not far enough to the front. Like even with your Comtech reader, I know we've we've done this on the show a lot where we we hold the figures up to the comp deck reader. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think you'd be able to figure that out. So no. Yeah. And even if we did, all it says is go Anakin drop <laughs> and some lightsaber battle sounds. That's all you get. <laughs> but it's a really sweet little, little figure set up here. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I've been reading Poe Dameron and I've been staring at this up on my mantle next to all my little baby Yodas. And that, that's my star Wars week. Sounds like a solid Star Wars week. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. What about you, my friend Rick? What you been into lately? I, you know what i I've been recovering from last week's episode with Kyle. Um, <laughs> we had so much fun recording uh, last week that I I was thinking about it before uh, the show released because um, you know a little behind the scenes guys you know Pete edits so you know we it, it was a couple of days and I just kept on thinking about like how how anxious I was for everybody to listen to it just because of how much fun we were having. Um, just, you know, being goofy and, um, and, you know, just three dudes talking star Wars, you know, we, there was really no like a hard schedule for what we wanted to do. It was, we were just talking about what was, you know, happening during the week and it was, it was so much fun and I'm glad Kyle came on, um, and, uh, had some time to talk with us. So that was, it was a good way to kick off the week and then work happened and then all of that shit went out the window. Um, so, but then again, there's a little bit of retail therapy that helps when, um, when things yes. don't always seem to go your way. So as I do, you know, I went to the, uh, the comic book shop, Chimera's comics and uh, picked up this week's pulls. Uh, bounty hunters number four came out, which mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. want to get too much into, but, um, reading no, the ready. book. Haven't read it. Yeah. I just want to say reading the book in a vacuum, the story is as it is, but no, historically what we know of the way Star Wars has been over the last couple of years um, in regards to certain characters, I don't want to give any details yet, even since you haven't read it. Um, it does, it does point to something larger uh, that's problematic. Um, and it's something that I think, especially within the comic book, comic book realm, they need to address. Um, so I, again, I don't want to get too much into it. I'm sure we'll have a discussion about it at some point, but uh, I did pick up that. Um, we'll push that to the side for now. And uh, again, buying some of the vintage comic books, I decided to uh, buy issues 95 and 96 of the old Marvel star Wars run. Uh, those are two more books with uh, dark lady Lumaya uh, in 95 and 96. She actually fights Luke Skywalker. Um, she's got this really cool, like it's like a whip. Um, I don't, I haven't looked too much into the actual book itself, but it's like a, it's almost, it's like a lightsaber whip. It's like all crackly and lightning. And it just, it's, it's, it's really cool looking. Um, 
Luke the gets his ass beat. Yeah, it's crazy though. It's like it's like an energy whip. Um, and for the for the time when the book came out, like she's got this really cool design. Um, so I, I'll probably get into reading those later today, just to kind of see what those are about. And then on Friday, we there was the big um, Hasbro toy drop for Star Wars. You know, so we saw the new five POA uh, sets that they came out with, which I'm not interested in. What does that um, mean? It's like you're speaking another language. Five points of articulation. So the head turns, oh. the shoulders swivel, and then the legs move at the hip. Um, that's your five <laughs> points. So just like the old Kenner toys. Um, okay. But they, they had these sets of five figures a piece. And um, that's not for me. The three and three quarter hmm. figures are not in my uh, collecting wheelhouse. But oh, they, we love those over here. Yeah, that, that's something that you guys might want to look into. I know they, the pre-orders went up on Friday. Um, like I said, there were sets, and each of the set, I think, had a, a new figure um, that had never been released before. I could be mistaken. Um, interesting that they put Kylo Ren in the set of Sith characters, right. even though he technically is not a Sith. Um, but, um, you know, they look okay for what they are. You know, again, not not for me, but they did have a Black Series reveal for uh, the gaming greats line that GameStop has been putting out. Um, so I did put in a pre-order for the Electro Staff Purge Trooper from Fallen Ooh, Order. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's a pretty cool figure. They, the pre-orders went up and then GameStop sold out pretty quickly within 10 or 15 minutes. That's awesome. And, you uh, snagged one. Well, I didn't get it on the first try. It was a few hours later. I just went oh. to check it out and kind of see if they were there. And I happened to see that um, the, the orders were live again. And then maybe two or three minutes after I had completed my order, I saw Yakface uh, retweeted that they were back up again. So um, I got, I guess I just got lucky and, and fell into that second window. That's what so, it's like getting Star Wars figures. It's you got to be quick. Yeah. Especially with these exclusives and, and GameStop is really good about um, replenishing uh, some of their exclusives. You know, I mean, both of the Revan figures, I think were GameStop exclusives and, I got the um, Force Unleashed Shadow Trooper, I think it is. It's kind of like it's got this weird kind of blue-black um, uh, Stormtrooper design. It's really cool looking, but that was a few months ago. So they're pretty good about replenishing. You can still get, find some of those now. Um, cool. Anything else, man? No, that's that's it for, um, for you know, the way I, I threw my money into the fan. <laughs> so It's a good cause. Oh, yeah. What about you, Pete? Well, I, too, took part in said retail therapy. But also, man, like, that that's a pretty good haul. Like, uh, I was taking a look at those uh, Black Series as well, and that Perch Trooper is sick, man. So, way to go on that. I'm really glad that they're they're starting to release pre-orders in waves, it feels like, like across the day. It kind of gives us all a chance to get in there, and uh, that's that's how I was able to snag those um Black Series, like Ahsoka and 332nd Clone, blah, 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 all that stuff. And that'll be coming later in the fall. Um, you were also talking about those three and three quarter inch boxes. I actually ended up passing on those. And it's even though we collect a lot of those, it's just I had to think about presentation of these sort of figures because I, I can't hang them. And I don't exactly... Like we have a library in, in our house, but it's for books. Like it's not for, for toys and all of our toys are hanging on the walls, like in the bedroom and in different areas. 
and just no shelves. So like I saw these and I'm like, well, how am I going to present them? And I thought it's going to be more trouble than anything. And not, none of those really just were like just begging to be bought for, for me, but they look pretty cool. And anyone else who got them, let us know what you think. Um, but as far as what I got, man, I got something that I think is really freaking cool. Um, you know, I'm really big on that three and three quarter inch power, the force two line. And I found something that I think is fairly unique. Um, as we all know, the, the red or the orange card, whatever you want to call them, uh, that first wave had a stormtrooper. Um, pretty sweet, a really good looking figure. Now I've already got one of those, but I managed to get one with a hologram sticker on it of the stormtrooper, which was kind of like a test for the green cards, which ended up all having hologram stickers on them. So that to me is really freaking exciting. Um, there's a lot of, there's actually not much information about these on the internet, which fucking really surprises me. Um, because, you know, these can be faked, you know, first, first of all, um, some people say it's really easy to fake them. You know, you just pull off the hologram sticker and then, you know, sit there with a hair uh, a blow dryer and stuff. And I'm like, no, ain't nobody got time for that. That is not easy. Um, but the one way that you can find out if you've got a real one or not is date stamps. Now, I did not know about these date stamps for as long as I've been collecting these. Um, you have to hold the figure up. Um, with the bottom facing you and look at it and I'm looking at it straight on and I feel like the date stamp is kind of like back behind the stormtroopers ankles or behind his knee and it is so faint on the plastic part or on the card it's inside of the plastic but it's on the card so you have to look through the bubble through the bottom at a really weird angle I want to try again all right go ahead so while she's looking at this um, these date stamps are really weird. Like the only thing on the internet is just kind of, they suppose, or they assume what these mean. Like you, you don't, it's like this one particularly says nine, seven, one, four on it. So we can assume that that came out in 1997. The one, four after it seems like it's not usually the month because obviously some of them would need to be, uh, five digits. I think, you know what I'm trying to say there. So it's like, what week of the year, what day of that week. Anyways, it's, this is more stuff for me to look into. So I'm really excited about it. Now compared to the one that came out in 1995, there is no date stamp on that. So I haven't necessarily proven that this is real or a fake yet, but I'm, I'm on the hunt. It's something new and exciting that I've discovered about the power of the force line. And I'm just absolutely ecstatic about it and um i'll be posting a picture of that soon man it's pretty sweet are you familiar with these at all the holograms on the red cards i don't think i have any i know i know what you're talking about but i'm thinking about my power of the force figures and i don't think any of my red cards have that sticker on it yeah i got something else that i want to talk about before we move on oh go ahead i almost forgot um i bought uh yeah you know when you're you work in a healthcare or somewhere and you have like a name badge and it's on a little clip and it's got like a lanyard reel thing. Um, I got one with a baby Yoda on it and I've been wearing it every day and I love it so much, so much. And no one has said anything at work. No, <laughs> no one. It's been two weeks of this like super adorable embroidered 
baby yoda on a sparkly he's his little he's in his little hover thing and it's it's sparkly like it is 100 percent glitter silver sparkle and no one has said a damn thing fucking muggles what really? do you expect what what <laughs> the hell people um it's so cute and so shiny and now i'm just like carrying a little baby yoda with me around on my scrubs all day it's fantastic i got it on etsy from uh let's see here Fast ID badges. <laughs> nice. And we'll throw a link to that Etsy store in the show notes too, because you guys got to check this out. Especially, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, you, you kind of reminded me of something, Eden, that um, the other day, you guys know me, I, I'm, I'm trying to fill up all my books and everything. I only have a few more canon books that I need to find. There's only a handful of Legends books that I'm trying to find. Okay, so I'm, I'm on eBay. I'll, I'll make this really quick. There's a hardcover copy of Darth Plagueis by James Lucino. I know this. Some people love this book, as I do. Some people don't care about it too much. But if you're looking for this book on a secondary market, it's usually pretty expensive, right? So I see this thing. It's at a bid. Starting bid is $35. I put in a bid, about a dollar over. That's $36. The end date for this thing was on Friday. It's after a shit work week. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is this would really help kind of bolster my mood, right? So it's coming down to the wire. I get outbid in the last minute and I'm watching it like a hawk and I'm thinking, I got this. I'm in the last, like in the last 10 seconds, I'm just going to, I'm going to gun it. I'm going to try to get this thing. (laughs) I topped the bid off $2 higher than the previous one with maybe two seconds left. And I got outbid in the very last second. Oh, I I have experienced this same thing with Peter on a weekly basis, you guys in your eBay wars. <laughs> this most of the time I'm, I'm the type that like, I'll look for the buy it now price. And I know sometimes it's a little bit higher than mm-hmm. what, you know, you could get at, at auction, but I'm thinking like, I, I don't want to, I, I just want to avoid the hassles and the headaches and the anxiety of having to sit there and watch a clock. And I figured this Plagueis book, I, for a hardcover buy, like if you're paying anything under fifty dollars for this book, you're getting a good deal because it's just it's just expensive uh, across the board. You're not going to find this thing any any cheaper than that in a good condition. And so it sold for I think forty dollars. And I was so pissed. There's somebody in the world right now who may be listening to this. <laughs> I highly doubt it, but somebody has that book that should have been mine, you motherfucker. <laughs> and I hope you enjoy the book, you piece of shit, because it should have been mine. It should have been mine. Dude, I know the struggle. I know it way too well like that. And I usually wait until like the eight second mark because you never know, man. Like, but you, you had, that was ballsy. You waited till the two second mark and then like he outbid you in the last second. That's fucking Mm -hmm. bullshit, dude. Mm -hmm. I'm almost wondering if like he just put in the bid, like he just, whoever this person was, he or she was planning on bidding $3 over what was there. And I was only bidding $2 over and they just Mm. went in at the same time. And this person won kind of by default, you know what I mean? Whatever the circumstances were whoever you are, you can eat and go yourself at the same time because you're a stupid, I fucking hate you. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to uh, share some of our eBay tactics because I've, I've been evolving my tactics and been winning, uh, getting some pretty good deals lately. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to compare notes a little bit later, man. We'll get you a book eventually. I need more books. I don't have enough books. <laughs> oh, trust me, dude. I, I'll, uh, I'll have to do a panoramic of our library sometimes to show you that we truly understand. It just wraps around the entire room. So yeah, you're in good company here, dude. <laughs> good. Good. Glad to hear it. 
So that's about all of our Star Wars weeks. And um, Rick, I think we've got a little bit of news that we wanted to touch on before we hit the meat and potatoes of the show today. What, what do you got for us, man? You know, just a couple of quick notes. Um, this week, news-wise, has been a little bit lighter than um, previous weeks. So the other day, Kathleen Kennedy gave uh, an interview with The Wrap, and uh, she just threw out a couple of things, you know, saying that she wanted to – it was a, a big focus for Lucasfilm to have more female um, directors and creators involved uh, going forward. We'll see how that moves uh, once things start lighting up as far as COVID and all of that, once they can actually start doing stuff. So that was a really cool – um, mentioned by her. Uh, the the other thing that she said in the interview was that she basically confirmed that Kenobi series was going to be a, a limited series. So basically one season of however, however many episodes. Uh, we've heard rumors of six, uh, maybe hour-long episodes, but who knows what they give us. Um, and, you know, per rumors that we've heard last week, it sounds like production maybe starting up in the next maybe a month or two. So um, that's all good news. Um, from Kathleen Kennedy herself. We, there was an interview in the Hollywood reporter with uh, Dave Filoni and uh, Johnny Favreau. And they were talking about the reception that George Lucas had to uh, the Mandalorian season one. Dave Filoni says that he thinks George Lucas enjoyed it. And that George Lucas um, is, he's kind of reveling in, in that he can watch this new content as a fan and not as a creator, he can distance himself from it and just enjoy it for what it is. So that was kind of nice to know that uh, grandpa George is, um, you know, kicking up his new balance sneakers uh, with a flannel and just like, Oh, oh Karen, I like this uh, Mandalorian. Show speaker. <laughs> and um, so uh, the other uh, bit we got from that, from uh, Johnny Favreau himself, he says that production on season three of the Mandalorian will likely not be, uh, hampered at all. Um, so whatever scheduling they have involved for season three should move on uh, as, as scheduled. And he basically said that recording in the uh, or filming in the volume keeps less people around. Um, so it's in terms of social distancing and things like that, um, it's easier for them to um, film with the camera. And he says a lot of times, you know, the, the actors themselves are not where you think they are when you see it finished in, in on screen. So, you know, there's a lot of movie magic that goes into uh, the production of the show. So one, I did not even know for sure there was going to be a season three. So now like that's fantastic news for me. I don't like to keep my hopes up about stuff like that. So hell yeah. And two, how long before other like video production companies create their own version of the volume? See, that's one of those things that for right now, Lucasfilm owns the only volume set that we know um, in existence. And mm-hmm. if they're not filming their own properties in it, I mean, they could shift uh, the Marvel stuff, uh, the Marvel TV shows into the space uh, to finish filming uh, some quote unquote exteriors if they want. Um, but it's one of those things that if other production companies, uh, you know, film houses, whatever, if they don't have their own, Disney could lease out the space. Um, to allow them to mm-hmm. film in it. And that's another revenue stream for them. Um, but uh, who knows how that works as far as licensing and all that, because then that's not just a, um, you know, Skywalker sound helped with, you know, post, you know, whatever kind of sound design for, for a movie or something. That's something that if Disney owns it outright, you know, do they get a cut? Um, because it's not just, I mean, it's, 
it's a set, you know, it's not just uh, a loaning out a camera or a handful of people um, that can, that can make or break a whole uh, production. If, yeah, if, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, if another, if, if another studio has it. So um, that's all pretty good news. And so who knows, you know, this time next year, we could be arguing about when the trailer for season three is going to drop. So uh, and the last thing I want to talk about, and I want to read a quote, um, our good friend Giancarlo Esposito gave an interview with IndieWire, and he wanted to talk specifically about bringing color to a neo-fascist organization like the Empire, where, you know, historically we have seen white men and women um, as uh, the villains in the Star Wars franchise. Uh, the sequel trilogy kind of changed that a little bit. We've seen kind of a mix, but he was asked about it. Um, and he says this quote, while it means a lot to me because I've strived in my career to be colorless, I am of mixed race, half Italian, half African-American. And I grew through the period of time where I was relegated to playing thieves and thugs. I learned how to do a Spanish accent to play Spanish street characters who were murderers, killers, robbers, the like. So for me, it's a crowning moment when I could when I could get the phone call from John Favreau to say, "I wrote a role for you." So good for him. Wow. Obviously, you know, you know, Johnny Favs had him in mind. It seems from from Jump Street uh, to play the role, kind of breaking the color barrier um, in that way on screen, um, and to have you know the sense of pride to to kind of know the importance of his face in this role in this franchise. Um, the more I read about him, the more I see of him, the way he carries himself, the more I admire him, um, both as an, as an actor, as a professional, as a human being, he just seems like an all around uh, really great guy. And um, he is so much a welcome face um, in, in star Wars, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, his role is fantastic in the Mandalorian. We all love him. Um, but the way he carries himself outside of that is is um, is very admirable. I love this man, and they better not kill him off in season two. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's all really exciting stuff, man. And yeah, uh, agreed. Like it's a very exciting time. So I also like uh, to back it up a little bit about um, season three of the Mandalorian. That's really exciting news because for a lot of like fans of other things like i'm a, i'm a big star trek guy as well and i was just reading today that like things like picard could eventually like could be canceled you know just because of the state of the world right now man if only they had a volume right exactly maybe disney will buy up everything gene roddenberry ever created Hell so yeah. i don't have to have a cbs all access subscription anymore Dude, yeah just watch star trek on disney plus what kind of world <laughs> would that be that it would be, be the best life <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so excited to pop up talk about Poe Dameron. Is it time to talk about Poe now? Well, we're going to be talking about Poe Dameron in a little bit, but there's just one other thing that uh -huh. we do need to talk about. Somebody a little more important, I think, than Poe. What? We're going to talk about Mithron Nuroodo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, am I right? Yeah. Am I right? It's true. <laughs> so we're, we're going to be moving on to a Thrawn excerpt. Um, this is going to be from io9.gizmodo.com. They put out some pretty funny articles recently, as Rick has pointed out on previous episodes, regarding Chaos Rising, uh, the first in the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy. And there is going to be a link to this excerpt 
that control contains not just the text, but also the excerpt about 11 or 12 minutes of Mark Thompson reading the excerpt. So look for that in the show notes. You can hit pause and come back. Or if you, you don't got time for that, then just keep on listening. So who wants to talk about this a little bit first? You got me thinking about like, what if Poe meets Thrawn and the kind of ridiculous crap that he would say and how it just, it could happen. So it's someone else go first, basically is what I'm saying. (laughs) I, you know what, let me, let me jump in on this first. And, um, we all, we all know my feelings on Thrawn, how much I, I enjoy this character and kind of what my fears are for the book. Um, as far as the exposition parts that we talked about last week, um, this, well, the, what this excerpt is, uh, specifically is something that I was really hoping that we would get in this book. And it's a series of interludes, um, titled memories. Um, and this one specifically, I believe is memories two. And I forget who it was last week that somebody tweeted an image of the, uh, the blue, um, pages, uh, and in it, there was an image of, um, I believe, a page of Memories 1. And, uh, you know, be, being the uh, the fan who kind of wants to know as much as I can, I want to say that I stopped it on the page. And, um, yeah, there is a Memories 1. It goes into it, – it's two pages, and you're not going to glean anything out of just a little bit. But uh, So what we get in the excerpt now is, is Memories 2, and I, I really did not want this book just to pick up with him as a cadet where you know, he's already off doing his thing, and he's already got a uh, – he's already the throne that we know from the previous canon books. Um, I wanted to see some of this development. Like I talked about last week, I want to see Thrawn fail. I want to see him put in his place a little bit and have to build himself back up because nobody starts from a place of complete overconfidence. Um, And so I'm really hoping that we get some of that uh, early character growth and development for Mithron Nuru um, as this excerpt uh, reads and says it's not, it's not Nerodo. And, um, there's a change in that name. So, you know, I don't remember the, uh, the personae dramatist that we got last week. And as far as the way the, the end name fits, um, but it changes over time. So he gains some, key, he goes from Nuru status to Neuroto status, whatever the <laughs> f- that means um, in this book. So he, there is some growth that we can see um, in his character. So Pete, do you want to jump into the excerpt itself? Right on. Yeah. Just in a second, too. I just wanted to say that I am with you. Like, I'm pretty excited about these little interludes that are going to be popping in and out. I love it when books are telling sometimes two stories. Um, I think the uh, the Tarkin book did that a little bit. Um, Also by James Lucino, who was mentioned earlier, a little like multiple timelines. And they're all going to be connecting to the things that are happening. Um, And the timeline that the the first excerpt we got, the prologue is going to be talking about in in the other one that where we got to meet his second in command, Samacro. I'm pretty freaking excited about this book. Um, Day one read and the blue page is like you were talking about, dude. I was so excited about it that I ordered two to make sure I got a first edition, one to read, one to, you know, wrap up and plastic. We had, we had to have a discussion about it. Like, 
what do we do about this? And I'm <laughs> I'm thinking of all these like celebration exclusives and how fast books sell out and it's Star Wars and there's so much of a demand for Thrawn and damn it, Del Rey, you really know what you're doing with selling these things to us. And we, we had to have two. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody asked him on Twitter if these blue pages were supposed to be the celebration exclusive for this year. And I, they didn't say no, but they did say that they what it they said in lieu of celebration since there wasn't going to be one that they wanted to do something special for the fans in offering the book the way that they are. Um, so first editions of the book are going to have the blue pages, and anything subsequent is not going to. Tell me again when um, it's coming out. September the first this year. Yes, so it perfect. it's been delayed, but that is the end date. Weeks. No. That's all we got to wait. Okay. Wow. I just expect everything to be delayed further. They did talk about, you know, the possibility of having some other kinds of exclusives in lieu of celebration for this book, maybe future books. We'll see. Um, But uh, I think it's pretty cool that they decided to do something a little bit different and special for this title. Yeah. Not just an exclusive cover, but every single page. (laughs) Right. Yeah. and, And they did say that every retailer that sells the book, um, is in on this, including, you know, Barnes and Noble has their exclusives that have like a, po- like a pullout poster in them. Um, those are going to have blue pages. They just said every, every first edition of this book, however many 10,000 copies or whatever, they didn't, they didn't give any number, but whatever that number is, they, they will all have blue pages regardless of, of where you buy it from. So. Yeah. Exciting stuff. So hop on that. If you guys haven't already, Well, let's go ahead and jump into this then. Um, We're actually going to be starting out in the past. Like you said, this is Mithron Nuru, and uh, he is at this point a cadet who is on his way to the academy. And uh, he's on a transport of the ship that's basically in known Chiss space. And we know that because uh, this is particularly about a girl named, um, is it Ariasta? Ariaka? Aliostov. Aliostov. Sorry, I didn't have it in front of me, and, and obviously that's a fake, made-up fucking language. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways, uh, she is a Skywalker, which we learned about in Thrawn Alliances, uh, the second book of the previous Thrawn trilogy. And sh- she is basically one of these young girls that exhibits Force sensitivity, and she's kind of coming to the end of basically her time as being force sensitive. I was shocked. I I have to interrupt you here. I did not read Thrawn Alliances. I had a hard time finishing that trilogy. I probably just need to get through the audiobooks or something, but we learn about this girl and what she does and who she is. And she finishes her work and then she leaves the bridge. And then I find out she's only 13 years old. I was shocked. I I was not expecting that. I had no idea She's worried about her future and what she's going to do for her people and what she's going to do for the rest of her life. She's only 13. Yeah. And she just feels like nobody's going to want her. And it is up to our good buddy, Mithra Nuru, to basically help this girl and assuage all of her fears about the future. Because, you know, he's basically just like, you know, I'm here. um, (laughs) I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But what's wrong, little girl? Are you okay? Which is also shocking. Who thought that Thrawn would be the one, you know, offering options and comfort and like assuaging anyone's fears instead of 
making them worse. Wow. Fair enough. Well, jump in on here, Rick. What did you think up to this point? How, how did this one hit you? You know, I, I kind of thought the same thing about her age um, because she also says that at 13, her quote unquote third sight is is vanishing a year than it typically would uh, for other um what I want to know that the, the chist word is um, Auxili Esahembo. That's the uh, the chist for Skywalker. Um, so I, I guess at, at 14 is when it starts to fade away. And at 13, you know, that's why she's like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? I got a whole nother year before this thing's supposed to go away. And we find out that she was taken out on this, um, like a test flight through known space. And um, she messed up. And the, uh, the, the ship's pilots had to correct uh, kind of against what she was telling them. And then we meet Junior Captain Vorlip, who this character huh, is like, if if it had just been Captain Vorlip, the way this character reads, I would have been like, well, yeah, you kind of have to be a little stern. You have to be this and that. But then you throw the junior part in there first. And it's like, you know, this person themselves is probably still relatively young. Um, and to me felt like they were, kind of uh, fluffing up their feathers a little bit, you know, trying to seem almost that much more important because they were junior captain and not quite an actual captain That's yet. That's so sad for the girl, though, that, like, her final mission wasn't even overseen by a full captain, just a junior captain. That That's what yeah. they put her with. Darn. Yeah, it, it, sh- it shows the... Um, it, it, it lends itself to that almost like the disregard of what happens to Skywalkers afterwards, at least so we thought... Um, and then we kind of find out what happens to them afterwards. But yeah, she meets she meets Thrawn in the hallway, and uh, you know she's uh, she's essentially crying, and you know he's he's like, "Hey, yo, what's up? What's happening?" Well, yeah, he's obviously concerned. Like, there's a 13 year old little girl when just like a plain uniform crying in the hallway, and he's like, "Oh, are you okay?" Because he's a good chiss. He's he's a good he's a good guy. For now, which is what the hell? Thrawn's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, and she she's able to completely drop her guard around him. You know, he's so unassuming at this point that she gives her real name, which we find out per protocol that they're not supposed to do. Um, their lives are held in secrecy. People aren't supposed to know that they're Skywalkers. Um, which it it reminded me of the um, I forget what the characters are called, but from um, what's the Philip K. Dick movie um, with uh, the pre-thought, the pre-crime, the pre-cogs. Yeah, the from, pre-cogs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about what the Skywalker's lives are like, that they are just, they're kept away, they're secluded until they're needed. Ah. Um, and that's from Minority Report. Minority Report. It just, it just came to yeah. me also. Yeah. See, great minds. We're, we're, we're on the same thing. <laughs> Catch up. Oh, I knew, I knew exactly what it was. I just didn't say. He doesn't no, like to interrupt. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, same sci-fi so, page. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, um, that's kind of the, the feeling that I got from how Skywalkers are treated, at least while they are still an asset, um, that they are to be protected at all costs and, um, you know, kind of, kind of held in seclusion uh, to a point. But yeah, she she drops her guard around Thrawn, and and she offers up this little bit of information, and then she has to fall back into her shielded mode and say that she's the captain's daughter, um, which immediately to him says that 
this isn't just some 13-year-old girl. She's still important. Whether she's a Skywalker or not, she's still somebody of importance, and he's got to treat her as such. And we kind of find out that he does. Right. So during this conversation, this uh, Vorlip, this junior captain, comes up and is like, what are you doing? You don't belong here. And um, she ends up learning from Thrawn that he was able to detect um, that that they kind of went off of their trajectory in the ship based on how the air moves around inside of the ship. And how the deck it physically reacts and the walls of the ship. Right. What? And so basically uh, he reveals that this is only his first time being on, on this uh I don't want to call it expedition, but the first time like in space flight on the, on his way to the Academy. And she's like, well, how on earth could you have known that? Um, it took me like 12 to figure that out. And so she tests uh, Mithron Nuru and uh, basically says, close your eyes and spins him around. Like he's going to play pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> yeah. And then um, says, all right, now point to this part of the ship. Where are you? And he does so correctly once again. And this tells her that this Mithron Nuru is, is pretty Pretty important, or not important, but pretty special. Special. Like and he's then, got a great yeah. career ahead of him, and and we're probably going to learn more about their relationship in in the future, in in future memories, maybe memory three, memory four. Right. So she just lets him go. Yeah. And, and don't you dare come past the sign <laughs> unless you damn well know you belong past it. Don't do it again. But oh, okay, you're okay this time. Yeah. All right. So we learned that Ali Astoff is basically she's trying to figure out my future. Like we said before, where, where am I going to go? Thrawn told her like your future is written only by you. Not in those words exactly, but he's like, you still have that choice. Even though I know where I'm going, the future isn't necessarily written in stone and I'm in control of that. And it's really powerful for this girl and this uh, this Vorlip character tells her once again, like, well, you know, you're going to be adopted into the the nine ruling families because it, it looks really good to have a, a former Skywalker um, I- adopted into their family. And that immediately confirms to her, oh, you said former Skywalker. What I was afraid of is actually happening. I'm basically retiring now. But then uh, it also opens up choices for her. Vorlip says... Well, yes, you've been a, an amazing Skywalker. Of You could probably ask for whatever you wanted. And that had never occurred to her. Never occurred to her to ask for anything until Thrawn said so. Right. And given that option, it was such an impactful interaction with Mithranuru that she said, I would like to be, I'm going to ask the Meaths first. Mm-hmm straight up mm-hmm. because of how nice this dude was to me. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see, I think, uh, her story being right. told in these interludes. Hopefully. I want more of her story. Right. Hopefully, hopefully we get more of her story. Or maybe we'll just end it. up getting, you know, lots of interludes about all the people that Thrawn has touched just through yeah. his awesomeness. And <sighs> uh, you, you, you mentioned earlier, Eden, like Thrawn being a good guy. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting though, because I've said on the show before that I've, you know, before he realized and was okay with what the emperor was doing, once he got knowledge of the Death Star and he stayed with the Empire, that's bad. Right. But everything before that, I've always felt like he's he's a good guy. He's cool. You know what I mean? Like mm. he's really cool. Like he was mm-hmm. a hero. And and Thrawn, I'm sorry, Zahn, Timothy Zahn, said in uh, the San Diego Comic Con at home panel that he was 
the hero. We get to see this hero. Or maybe right. it was in one of the interviews of, of the excerpts. Right. See, um, and I like that. I'm excited that Thrawn is going to be a hero in this book or could potentially be. You know, we'll find out in a couple of weeks. There's something else going on here. I mean, it's Thrawn. You know, I you have to assume, and this is this is me speculating on what could be in this book. Okay. Um, Thrawn knows his place as a member of one of the nine ruling families. And again, as like I said before, his name changes, which means that his station changes within his family. So it leads me to believe that just through his own powers of deduction, that he knows that this girl is a Skywalker at this point. He's yeah. nice to her because he knows that she has the ability, she will have the ability to choose where she wants to go. And if she chooses to go with the myth family, oh. that could raise the family station amongst the nine. Um, because Vorlip says that, you know, they are adopted not for out of love or out of compassion, but it's a matter of prestige. It's a showpiece um, to say that, you know, we were chosen by this Skywalker or, um, they're now a part of our family as a as a as as an a, a merit adoptive, um, which means that they've earned their place into it. And um, fascinating. There's yeah, there's something else going on. I mean, it, it's a Thrawn book, you know. You, you got to huh. think, uh, you know, for my part, that he's he's already scheming. He knows what he's trying to do in the name of his family. What we have to think about also is where this is going to lead at the beginning of the last Thrawn trilogy. You know, book one of Thrawn, um, where he's exiled, he's cast out for whatever reason, and that's where he falls in line with the Empire. Right. We find out um, why at the end of this trilogy, right? Yeah, we have we have to be able to connect these dots. Um, but in the beginning, I, I this is my feeling is that he's trying to raise his his family's station, and he feels that he can do so by having this um, Skywalker be adopted into it. That's a really interesting take. I, I I think that'll be really cool to find that out. Is he uh, is he going to get the Odo at the end of his name because he did right by his family, or does he get the Odo for things that he does at the academy and rising up in the military? These are all things that we're going to find out really soon. And I also have a lot of theories as well about that exile that we discovered uh, before he even spoke basic with Eli Vonto, and it's just going to be real. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the last episode to, to see what my actual thoughts on on uh, Eli Vonto's Outer Rim accent. But yeah, a very exciting time. This book's coming out. It's going to be a day one read and a day one listen. Well, I mean, I'm going to listen to it first and then read it second, but... By the time that we start talking about this book, I'm going to have two full read-throughs in it, and I it's going to take no time at all. So anything else anybody wants to say about Chaos Rising before we move on to the meat? Nope. I want to talk about Poe. Poe Dameron. Yeah, I'm good. Let's do it. All right. So as you can glean from the title of this episode, we're going to be talking about Alex Segura's YA novel, Poe Dameron, Free Fall. And as Rick so awesomely coined uh, about 10 episodes ago, this is going to be jammed transcriptions. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Now for everyone, we're going to give you a final spoiler warning before we start talking about what happened in this book. But I would like to give a few um, spoiler-free thoughts yes. on this book. Give a review before we get into it. Eden, since you're our guest, would you like to go first? I would. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell I'm just like bouncing in my chair, like real excited to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I 
have a complicated relationship with this book. Um, yeah, you do. I do. I started reading it like a month ago, um, more than a month ago. I got a copy on NetGalley um, as I, I still have librarian status on NetGalley. So I still get, you know, review copies early. And it's not a bad thing because you are, even though you're no longer a librarian, you do have the status as an online reviewer. So that's that's also credentials and enough to be on NetGalley. Not yes. that you're doing anything illegal and you're still going to buy the books, obviously. Right. You, you sounded we, like we a still, smuggler. You sounded like Han Solo right there for a second. I mean, Poe was a smuggler for a little while too, but I still feel a little <laughs> a little snarky about it. Like, oh yeah, I'm still on NetGalley. But yeah, I am still promoting these books and <laughs> reviewing them and telling the publishers what I think and talking yeah. about them in the wide world and on Twitter and to other librarians. I'm still, you know, communicating with lots of other librarians, even though I'm not one anymore. Um, but I started reading the book and I got uh, a couple chapters in and I struggled with it. I struggled really hard. I had a really hard time um, even getting to the end of the second chapter. And it um, it was just Alex Segura's writing style. It's just not for me, I guess. Um, it was very repetitive. There's a lot of exposition a lot of repeated exposition. Um, it's super long-winded, but I got over it um, and I finished it and I love it and it's not a problem anymore. Um, so if you have a hard time starting a novel, just just keep going. Just keep going. It was, it's fantastic. Um, I had a hard time with the beginning too, but it's, it's no big deal. So how many kyber crystals would you give this one? I've been thinking about this all day <laughs> when i um about halfway through the book i probably would have given it like three and a half which isn't great for me i'm out of ten or five out of five okay um but i'm, I'm giving it four out of five for sure okay yeah um it's a great book it's he has an interesting new outlook the author alex segura has an interesting new outlook on the star wars galaxy it's great to have a new voice um from a new perspective he's he writes mostly adult detective novels um so that's just something a little different i totally want to rewatch the rise of skywalker now mm. like i, I want to rewatch everything with zori bliss immediately mm-hmm. if if not like before we did this podcast it was really hard because uh peter finished the book after me it was really hard not to just put on Every scene with Zori Bliss and rewatch it in this new context. It makes me feel like uh, when I first started getting into the Star Wars novels, how it just enhances everything that I see in the movies. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'll like The Rise of Skywalker more. Um, I do know. I know. I like Poe more. I love him. I know more about him. He's had a lot more depth. Um, I want to rewatch everything with Babu Frick, mm-hmm. of course. I feel like I'll enjoy Poe's appearances in absolutely everything else, Resistance, every other comic, every movie, um, every other book. There's just a lot more depth to him, and I'll appreciate his appearances in everything else so much more. Oh, is there an audiobook? There has to be. It's Star Wars. There is, yeah. Yeah. yeah is. So I read the Kindle edition, and it was fantastic. 
Um, I did get an advanced review copy, so the formatting was a little irritating. Um, but I cannot even imagine how good this would be with the Star Wars music, sound effects. There's so many fantastic action scenes. And just imagining the sound effects. I mean, you can hear it as a movie, like play in your head. Um, if you listen to it as an audiobook, and I, I want to do that now, like I want to see this in my head as a movie instead of having to like read through this poorly formatted uh, advanced review edition. But I loved it. Highly recommend. Would recommend four to five copper crystals. Go read it. Sounds to me like you really dug the content overall just in general. So despite the presentation not necessarily working for you, it enriched your enjoyment of the characters that appeared in other things. So it's solid. Exactly. The presentation, including the writing style and the actual format of the edition, which is fine, but Poe is fantastic. I love him. Sorry, Bliss is a badass. (laughs) And you should go read it. Nice. Nice spoiler-free review. Now, I'm going to throw it over to Rick. And um, I also wanted to ask you, man, you know, you voiced some concerns uh, before this book came out about Poe Dameron as a character being cast into a Spice Runner role in his past. It was just thrown in there. And and we, we were really interested in seeing if this book would make you feel uh, better about that situation. You and I had talked about it plenty of times, and I wonder how what your opinion on that was, and if it's uh, if it's too spoilery, then we can save that for afterwards. But I've been wanting to know your thoughts. Um, I'll keep it as spoiler free as possible until we get to that point. But the uh, I'm good with the way that this story unfolds. Right, agreed. Um, I completely forgot that I was worried and really frustrated with how they had cast. Poe Oscar Isaac as oh, oh you're a drug dealer okay I didn't even think about it throughout the course of the entire novel so it was that well done yeah that that's the thing about this book um, well let me let me speak to this um, specifically first but you know the whole thing with him being a, a spice runner as named in the Rise of Skywalker it it doesn't fall into the realm of uh, of trope the way that I felt that it did, you know, just in one line in the movie having, you know, the Hispanic guy be the drug dealer or the drug smuggler runner, whatever. Um, the book kind of stays away from that. And uh, Pete, you and I last week, we watched the interview with um, Alex and Michael Morrissey where I, you know, I, I mentioned this last week too, where, you know, I asked him, you know, how did you, deal with that topic uh, in, in a way that it doesn't, that he didn't fall into that um, where he could just be seen as a, as a stereotype. And he said he was conscious of it and he didn't want that to happen. The story was about his character and not about uh, defining him by a role right. um, and realizing that Poe from the beginning of the book isn't over his head. Um, now speaking to the larger context of the book itself. Um, and here's kind of my few sentence reviews of the, of the book as a whole. I think thematically, this book succeeds phenomenally. What this book is, air quotes, about, um, for me, is it's off the charts. What it says about family, what it says about um, expectations, about you know living in the shadows of other people, 
um, dealing with youth, dealing with emotions, dealing with all of these other things that, again, are more thematic things um, as far as the story goes. There's a lot of specifics in this story. And like you said, um, even with uh, Alex's writing style, that it, it didn't really jive with me a whole lot. Um, he's got, there were some parts of the, of the of the book that were really, really clunky to me. Um, and some of that was his dialogue, um, especially for Poe. Now, I read the print and I, I did, I've done the audiobook twice. Um, I redid this a couple of days ago at work wow. just to have everything refreshed. <laughs> and um, it's a, it's, it's a 10 hour audiobook. And, you know, for me, that's, that's work and my commute, mm-hmm. um, the job that I've been on lately. So the, the guy who does um, pose, who does the, the read through of the book, whose name I cannot remember right now. So I apologize. His delivery of Poe, yeah, it sounds very much like Poe, but it's very, like, there's a forcefulness behind it that doesn't come off as charismatic. You know, he obviously hasn't learned, he's not charismatic Poe in the same way that he is and when we see him in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. But He's kind of forcing it. He's he's not, yeah. he hasn't experienced everything yet. He's, he's kind of right. making himself feel confident, even though he doesn't really. Right. So something about the delivery in the audiobook was just a touch off um, for his voice at okay. this point. I mean, he's only 16. He's only 16 years old. Um, it's not a complete takeaway for the book. It doesn't ruin anything for me, um, but it was something that I was conscious of. So um, if we're rating this thing on Kyra's, uh, Kyra Crystals, I give this a, a, a three and a half. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just be, there were some specifics, like I said, of Alex's writing style that I became aware of, and it kind of, you know, it's one of those things where like, oh, that's weird. And it takes you out just for a half a second mm-hmm. and then you, you kind of lose your place a little bit. Um, I, I like the story. I love the beats of the story. Um, but there are some parts of how it's delivered that, um, like I said, just they were, they were noticeably sometimes a little subpar. Um, so, but overall 3.5. Out of five. Yeah, three, three and a half. It, it, it's not bad by any stretch. Um, it, it's not my favorite. It's very middle of the road for me. I And I think for who the target audience is for this book. Um, yeah. I think it's, a, I think it's a good read for, for kids and teens to, to, to get into this again, for what this book represents thematically for this character at this time in his life. I, I think, it, I think it's a very good story. Um, and that's my spoiler free review. We'll get into some other things in a minute. Pete, what you think? I'm really on board with everything that you guys said. I actually thought that this book was was uh, presented in a very like breakneck speed. The pacing mm-hmm. was you're just going so fast, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Right. I think it was actually uh, made it a more enjoyable mm-hmm. read because of that. Now I haven't had much time to sit down with the book. Uh, since I actually got my physical copy in hand, so what happened was I had to utilize days off and then just read my brains out, like <laughs> like as many hours as I could, and then have to wait five, six, seven days before I could pick it up again. And in fact, I woke up early this morning. I, I woke up at five o'clock and just finished it this this morning today. Half the book, um, I, I basically read it in two days mm-hmm. um, across a couple weeks, but. Um, it was, it felt hard to put down. You know right. what I mean? I didn't really get bored with it. I di- I wasn't checking my phone, you know, I wasn't, you know, getting up to go do this and, you know, it was, it was a good book. It was a fun it was read. Captivating. 
kept yeah. you kept you interested. Um, I wanted to know what was going to happen next. All the time, uh, I agree one hundred percent with Rick about the target audience that it, it's just great for them thematically. Now, it's it's obvious who this is for. This is a YA novel. Your two main characters are sixteen ish, and um, they deal with with sixteen uh, year old problems in in a sixteen year old way. Yeah, and it's very believable. It like really that. is. Yeah. So I want to go ahead and give it. Uh, four kyber crystals out of five kyber crystals. Nice. I thought that it was a good book. I agree that there are some clunky bits. Um, doesn't ruin the story for me. Right. So, Agreed. yeah, I think all of us would recommend it. And, uh, yeah, unless anyone else has anything else to add, this is your final spoiler warning. Go ahead and pick up the book. Let us know what you think in some com link chatter maybe in the future. But this is it. Go ahead, hit pause. Or if you don't care, just keep on playing. Right. Unless you're Shadow Clone and then you just keep listening. That's it's, right. It's Sha- fine. He don't give a f- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's dive into this, guys. Who wants to go first? Why isn't Babu Frick on the cover? <laughs> Why didn't they put him on the cover? Those jerks. The anticipation. You want to, is he going to be in the book? <sighs> is he not going to be in the book? I just can't put him on the cover. Man, he's, I'm so glad he was in this book. Like I'm just so glad, so glad we got more Babu Frick. He's he's so important. Now I like I, I in the Rise of Skywalker when Zori shows up, you know, on Exegol with with Babu Frick. Hey, and I just felt kind of contrived to me. Like, oh, she took like everyone's favorite little cute character from this movie, and there they are. But it makes so much more sense now. <laughs> They're such such good friends. Like. All right. All right. I, I get it. The Babu stuff was pretty fun. Yeah. It was nice getting more Babu Frick character development, which was not something I thought that I needed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I did not think that I needed it. I had gotten over my distaste for that scene where she shows up in her ship with Babu Frick, pop up out of nowhere. Hey, hey. And then it, it came back and I realized, oh, that it means so much more now. Now I have this context. Um. It was really great, but still, put him on the freaking cover. Yeah. We all love Babu Frick. <laughs> yeah, Babu. Sweet Babu. Right? I don't have much else to say about it. I mean, I liked the scenes <laughs> where Babu was in the book. But we had there was the scene in the Rise of Skywalker novelization where she actually rescues him from Kajimi mm-hmm. uh, prior to its destruction. Mm-hmm. But... um yeah, and that's where he pops up in the uh, in the Y wing, and we also see where the Y wing comes from in this book. So kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was great to get more of Kajimi and more of other outer rim planets. So we got to learn about about some new planets that I either I didn't know about or just hadn't been introduced before. Sorgana, Sorghum. Oh, honey, uh, let me tell you All something. You, you know exactly what Sorgan is, really. Mandalorian where they make uh, Spotchka. Oh, really? Yeah. That's where this... Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's where that's where Omera's from and the kids. But that's where, yeah, the Mando's going to leave the child with the um, 
fake the Klaatuinian raiders and all that. See, Eden, I would, Eden, I would never call you a fake fan. Pete, on the other hand, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I was like, I bet you anything that Rick is not going to do it on that one. <laughs> but you know, if I, if I said anything half as fake as that, <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you, but no, like you got a lot more out of this book as far as, you know, the armpit of the galaxy. Right. There were, there were a lot of, a lot of strange planets that they just stopped by on. They had missions on or near or in the orbit of. And, and that's cool. It's always great to, you know, books like this are the reason why you look up a planet in Wikipedia and there's actually an entry there yeah. um, instead of just, you know, the name of the planet and where it was named. There's actually detail. And th- this book is the reason why for some of those. It's great. Yeah. That's one of the things that I really liked about this book is that it with with very little exposition, you know, it's not just a, you know, hammering you over the head kind of thing. You come to find out that the New Republic does not have a good handle on the galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not it, it's basically said, you know, they don't really care about the planets beyond the mid rim. And yeah, they, they can't. They don't have enough resources to care about them. Exactly, exactly. And and as this book chronologically is about 10 years after what we've got in The Mandalorian so far, there's there's a mention that um, C. Latrune says something about the quote-unquote bounty hunter problem. Um, mm-hmm. And could that be something loosely related? Probably not, but it says something about the lawlessness of the galaxy Exactly in the, the kind of the kind of the outer reaches far away from from uh, the 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 inner rim of of the galaxy. So you know people are very opportunistic about how they're trying to make their money in the absence of the quote unquote law and order of the empire. And you know that's kind of where we meet Poe in the beginning of the book. He's living on Yavin with his dad. He's sixteen. Shara uh, Bay, his mother has been dead for eight years at this point. We don't know the specifics around her death, if it was like in a training exercise or some other kind of mission, but she just felt like she was destined to be in the stars and flying. And something happens where she doesn't survive, but whatever happened, her ship survived because Poe's flying her A-wing in the beginning of the book. Um, And this is one of those things thematically that like really hit home. Um, you know, he's 16 years old. He's trying to find his way. His father's being very overprotective of him for very good reasons, at least in his own eyes. And Poe wants to break away. He wants to make a name for himself. He has his mother's passion in him to be among the stars, to go see things and to go help people. Um, he's yeah, got loyalties 16. in him. He hasn't seen any sky other than his own so far. And his mom, he feels right. like his mom would not be okay with that. He, he has loyalties in him that he wants to share with other people. And he feels that he's being stifled by his mm-hmm. father's overbearing nature. And we see that Kess is also struggling with that. You know, that, you know, Shar is not around anymore. They don't have the same family dynamic that they used to um, raising uh, a young Poe. And his own life's mission is essentially over. He's, they've only known war. You know, he's he was a pathfinder for the rebellion. He was he was a ground soldier on Endor. They were heroes, and the war is over. And you know, he wants he wants a quiet life, but he doesn't know how to have that. His new turmoil is in the guise of his son, and he's trying to control that. And he has to realize that he cannot do that all the time. You know, so 
What does Poe do? He gets in with the wrong crowd and he gets the fuck off of Yavin. And he realizes immediately that he's in over his head. Everything about him was so haphazard and he's so rushed into this, this, this decision to trust these people um, that he was so in over his head that he had no choice but to just stick with it. If he had run from it at that point, they'd have killed him. So he kind of knew that, but he's also smart enough to kind of play the new, uh, you know, the, the new Republic security bureau um, and find his way out and find his good graces within this group. Again, sharing his loyalties with them. And then he just keeps doing those things over and over and over, like for the next mission and then the next one. And then the next one, he, he realizes each time as they're going into it, he's in way over his head and this is way too much for him. But that doesn't mean that Poe Dameron is going to, you know, back down. He, he finds the courage and the pulls up the confidence out of nowhere to somehow get through it. Um, each mission that that he does with spice runners and it's fun it's a lot of fun but it's also really hard to watch him the way he struggles with it because he's he's struggling with them um being criminals and killing people and um even when he starts getting attached to his spice runner crew um he still has a hard time with the decisions they're making, but he knows that he doesn't have anywhere else to go other than back to Evan Four, and so he just keeps going. Yeah, and there's no getting out. Like once you're a spice runner, you're you're yeah yeah. It's like getting out of a gang. He's lucky that after the end of things, that Zori Bliss didn't come and like track him down and make him a slave of the Spice Runners of Kajimi, like throw him into Babu's workshop and say, hey, you're stuck in here. You help Babu and forever until the end of time because you know about us and you know all our secrets and we can't let you go. Like he's, he's lucky that she she liked him so much. He's lucky he's such a pretty guy. <sighs> He's such a charismatic little cutie. He really is. It lends a lot of credence to what she says to him in The Rise of Skywalker when they first bump into each other again, where she says that she wants to see his brains in the snow. Right. Mm -hmm. Now we know why. I mean, this book kind of lays it out. Exactly. I I love that. Now we know why. And now we know why. Poe's like, can I kiss you? Like, he's, (laughs) he just can't let it go. He can't let it go. Ugh. So I saw on Twitter um, after this book came out, about a week or so after it came out, people started to um, take it in that a lot of people were really enjoying um, Zori, learning about Zori's background. Yes. And I wanted to ask you guys, uh, how, did, how did you enjoy learning more about Zori Wynn, a.k.a. Zori Bliss? I think... She was one of those characters that was ripe for a past exploration. I mean, she's helmeted. We never see her face except for her eyes. And we get just the right amount of uh, like a caring and compassion for Poe from her to kind of leave you intrigued to like, what is their relation? How do they know each other? How do they feel that they know each other so well? You know, what's their past together? This book answers a lot of questions um, to that regard, but we find out that it all starts. It's because Poe's like, Yo, who are these girls at the bar? You know, like I'm just gonna go sidle up to, hey, what's up, girl? How you doing? <laughs> and this way so he, he sees her. Yeah, he I mean, he's 16, he's in a bar, first of all, which I mean <laughs> Which he on. goes to all the time, um, apparently. Right. Yeah. And he sees her, and I think it's uh Miranda Gann, and they're like dancing or whatever, they're having a good old time. 
And so he just saddles up. I like, Hey girl, how you doing? What's up? How you, what's happening? And immediately they can both see right through him. They know that he's, you know, some, some townie, some local who, you know, he doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And, um, <laughs> I mean, they kind of take advantage of him. You know, he says he can fly. They need a pilot. And, you know, turns out they got, but, you know, one of the best. Yeah. And then it, as you see their relationship grow throughout the course of the book and, um, Almost more of what Zori means to Poe as opposed to what Poe means to Zori. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, he's the central character. We're getting a lot of the story from his point of view. He becomes very enamored with her. He sees them both on equal footing because they're about the same age. Little does he know, you know, how, just how involved she is with the Spice Runners of, of Kajimi. And as we start to find out more and more about her character, um, the little the bits and bobs that are thrown in there that as a reader, we're kind of like, Oh, that's interesting. Ooh, that's a tasty little nugget. <laughs> Once Poe finally puts it together. I mean, because it's know. thrown in his face. Yeah. We, we already know. It's right. It's we already clear. know at that point. So yeah, it, it's a big surprise to him. And he kind of, you know, he's like, well, why don't you tell me? And she's like, well, duh, <laughs> you know, open your eyes, dummy. Like it's, it's always been there. I didn't, I shouldn't have had to have told you, you you're smart. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Um, but it also lends itself to the hurt uh, at, at the end of the book mm-hmm. and how that comes to define the relationship going forward into The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is, I mean, kind of like Han and Lando, are we to assume that they never had any other interaction before The Rise of Skywalker? Um, I mean, we know we've got the whole huh. Poe Dameron comic book run uh-huh. and, the, and the Before the Awakening story that takes place before um, Force Awakens where she's obviously not mentioned he's already a pilot in the new Republic Navy um, and all of that stuff. But did they have zero interaction? Has he never had to call in a favor or vice versa? Um, I think there's spots in this, even within the confines of the book where they can have like a little short story that fleshes something out a little bit more. Yeah. I feel like that definitely could happen, which I had not thought about at all. It, I'm not sure how I feel about it though. If Because if that interaction in, in the rise of Skywalker is their first meeting after the end of this book, that gives it so much more meaning. It's so much more intense. But also, of course, I want more Zori and Poe. <laughs> so, yeah, give me a short story, a little comic interlude or something. Can I talk more about um, Poe and Zori's relationship? Just I'm afraid we're all out of time today. Aww. No, go ahead. <laughs> this is the last of my notes, quite honestly. Because I feel like Poe's relationship with Zori is an interesting comparison to his relationship with Finn. Um, I like where you're going with this. Yeah, I mean, Poe had never had, I mean, did he have friends on Yavin 4? Probably, but were they close? Of course not, obviously. He didn't have to tell anyone before he left. He didn't miss anyone other than his dad and Lulo. He he had, I mean, it's Poe, but he had no friends there. And then he meets these new friends and family and saves their asses and then has to keep going with them as a crew. And he gets to know Zori and they get close and he develops feelings for her because I feel like because they're so close and that sort of worked. It sort of didn't, you know, the book ended and he hasn't really had a chance to be close with anybody that we know. 
um, before he meets Finn. He's got Black Squadron and he, he gets in with the Rebellion and Leia, but Leia is, is Leia and Black Squadron has its own mess of relationship connections and there could have been something there, but not really. I mean, he's very close with Snap and Snap has his own thing going on and there's really no one else for Poe to get close to until he meets Finn and they go through what they go through together and they become very close. And of course, Poe develops feelings for Finn again with someone that he's very close to and has been through quite a lot with. Still agree. That's headcanon for me. Yeah. It's just, it makes so much sense. Like seeing how Poe could not help but feel for um, the Spice Runner girl. And then, you know, she's his first real close friend and they go through a lot together. And then he makes a decision to leave. And then he, you know, he goes through a lot of the same things with Black Squadron, but it's it's not the same. He's in charge. They all have their own relationships going on. And then he finds Finn and Finn is just his friend to start with. You know, they get close to start with together. And it, it just makes sense to me. And it's really sweet. So I wanted to throw out there, um, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on the uh, NRSB agent, Sela Troon. How did you guys like this character and, and what she added to the story? I like Sela Troon, and I, I like what this part of the story kind of is. And we have to remember uh, Alex Segura's writing background. He's been writing you know, crime novels for a while. And it's essentially what this book is. You have, you know, the cop who was wronged by the gang who has a personal vendetta. Um, and that's that officer's drive, you know, is it's not about some doing something that's morally right or, or fixing some kind of societal injustice. It's about, you know, they killed my family, you know, my name is Sila true and you killed my family prepared to die kind of thing. <laughs> But that's what this, through her, that's what this, that's the shape of this book. It becomes a crime novel that way. You know, there's this mm-hmm. mafia family that is mm-hmm. the Kajimi Spice Runners, and she's trying to infiltrate it. And there's a little espionage and some spy shit that's going on. Um, and, you know, again, she's got this personal thing. Um, and uh, she's tra- also trying to make a name for herself within the NRSB um, and improve herself amongst but those ranks. Really, I felt like her entire motivation for proving herself and moving up in the ranks was so that she could get to the the Spice Runners Kajimi. Do you feel like Absolutely. she had some, like she just wanted to move up and be, be really good at what she did or was it all a part of that personal vendetta? Well, she's obvious, she obviously has a drive. She obviously knows uh, what she wants to do at the end of all of it. You know, she wants to be a part of the, the security bureau. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's this one thing, even though it's a very personal thing is an ends to a means and she, or a means to an end. She wants, she knows that she can, she can pull herself up um, to that place. And this is the thing though. If she can't let this thing, she can't let it go um, because it's personal. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's the ultimate side mission to her, you know, to her life. And if she can't conquer this one thing, it's almost like she, you know, would have felt that like she didn't earn her place 
within the, within the NRSB. If she couldn't solve this one thing, if she couldn't find its conclusion by killing Ziva Bliss, that you know Zeva it was kind of all for or Ziva. It's Star Wars. Vows don't matter. Oh, you're so right. It can be either. I feel really good now because it, it's Zeva Bliss yeah. to me. And speaking and to that's that, okay. what's it? What what's Zeva? <laughs> Whatever. And speaking to that, and we'll. Uh, I, I know you mentioned this earlier, Rick, about the little interview with Mike Morisi and Alex Segura, which we were a part of. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. But my only question to him was, how do you pronounce Gen Tree? <laughs> uh-huh. Or because he kept calling it Gen Try. Gen Try. Because in the audiobook, mm-hmm. they annu- they pronounce it Gen Try, which is different from the way that he wanted to pronounce yes. Gen Tree. <laughs> which is interesting. It's Star Wars. The the vowels are all over the place. Han, Han, Jabba, yeah. Jabba, right. Jibba Jabba. <laughs> It was a great book, <laughs> and I I like it even more now after talking to you guys about it. I really do. Yeah. So, Rick, earlier in our um, spoiler-free rundown of how we felt about this book, I asked you about how you felt or uh, about um, your concerns over over this character being a drug dealer, basically, and, and his, his presentation in the book. And you said that you would uh, add a little bit more to that once we were out of spoiler. Uh, warning territory. Yeah. So, you know, we, to, to use the, you know, the actual story elements themselves, you know, he, he meets the group, they need a pilot. He's like, I want to get the hell out of here. I can fly anything. Um, and, and he does, um, he flies away in, in the ragged claw, this busted ass ship that they got. And, um, he proves himself time and time again, um, as the getaway driver, you know, he's almost not involved in some of the nastier elements of what they're doing um, as spice runners. And that, that's another thing about this book is like, we don't ever actually see them running spice, but it's just the name of the group themselves that was established on Kajimi. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like saying you're part of the so-and-so drug cartel, but you know, Maybe you don't sell drugs anymore. Maybe you just murder people. They're not going to call you the murder cartel um, because that's the name that was already established for you. Um, whatever it is, um, that's it's it's the name that they've adopted. You know, we we do know that you know they had some missions, missions. They had some, um, you know, uh, they, they had some travels that you know took them from place to place where it seems like they're moving some goods around, but they're they're smuggling. They're not you know necessarily running spice uh, literally. So. There's there's a little bit of gray area there to say like well they're not really selling right. drugs they're not really doing this it stuff. It does make sense though because I mean in the Rise of Skywalker when Ray gives him that look you were a spice runner and uh, did he really though did he actually you know transport spice illegally maybe once but he did a lot of other crazy shit too. Yeah, that's what you know. That's what I was saying about the those little short story mm-hmm. gaps that they can fill mm-hmm. in. Um, because this book takes place over the course of maybe a year and a half or two mm-hmm. years. I know the only time time is explicitly said is three months. There's three um, months the and then six or nine months. And it, it seems surprising how quickly that time had gone by. And yeah, there is a lot of room for extra little spice run emissions in there. Right. And, and and I think by definition, in order for it to still be a YA novel, they cannot be over 18 in the books. No, that's not true. Um, 
I okay, you 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 corrected me on it, but I but still, I mean, it wouldn't make sense for him for them to jump ten years and he's thirty five and it's still a YA right. book, would it? Definitely, yeah. You know, so, um, there, but there is a span of time. It's not a huge amount of time, but there are gaps within the story. So we, we mm-hmm. get these key points um, where you know he's essentially the getaway uh, the getaway driver. He's not mm-hmm. the guy holding a blaster to somebody's head saying, you know, give me the spice, motherfucker. I'm you know he's he's not that guy. He's you know he's the one that's like. You know, keep the engine warm. You mm-hmm. know, while while we go do the thing. So and they they wouldn't be alive if it weren't for him doing how how well he does at that. Actually, yeah. You know, also to the point where he has to learn how to light speed skip on the fly. Um, in in the book, so we you know mm-hmm. we we see where that comes from, and that you know, was it's, exciting. Yeah, it is through exposition. Uh, in dialogue, um, it's explained kind of how to do it, but it's done in a way that it's not just, um. Well, this is, you know, what the manual says about light speed skipping. It's like, uh, no, we got to make sure we get from point A to point B. And it's a da 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 da. And it's like, it moves along with the story in a way that doesn't take you on a bit like, oh, here we go. They're explaining the thing. Um, it fits within the narrative of the story in and of itself. So that, that was a pretty cool scene um, to have. But yeah, but, you know, he doesn't fall into what could be, you know, that negative stereotype of he's just like, oh, he was just selling drugs because at no point do we ever really see him do that. Um, but we also see that he's uh, skirting this kind of moral gray area. You know, he knows a lot of times that they're not doing uh, the right thing, but he, it's almost like he's weighing the alternative. Of like, do I want to do this and, and be out and living my life and having excitement and whatever, or do I want to just go back home, you know, dust farming with my dad who doesn't want to do anything except for talk, you know, about our feelings um, so he's, he's chosen the, the exciting life, you know, th- there's that weird kind of parallel to Luke's story mm-hmm. of them being farmers on Yav and he's got these aspirations. Um, but you know, he wants to be out doing his crazy stuff. He wants the adventure where, you know, where Luke is explicitly told, you know, you shouldn't crave the adventure, you know, like you, your path is different. You should look for some kind of serenity and purpose as opposed to just living a chaotic point A to point B, point A to point B kind of lifestyle, you know, find your purpose and hone in on that. And we, Poe eventually learns that um, throughout the sequel trilogy, but at this point in his life, he himself is light speed skipping. Um, he doesn't know what his own end game is. And it's only until nice. uh, his father comes back into his life. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's when his dad comes back with, uh, mm-hmm. with Lulo uh, to tell him like, Boy, you fucking up, and it can, mm-hmm. can kind of smack him in the head a little bit. And you know, Zori's like, that seed." Yeah, he's like, Zori's like, "Yo, this is your dad," but also he himself. I'm sorry, like I'm getting heated now because Kes, he doesn't. They don't just find him; they enlist the help of these pirates. You know, he puts yeah. himself in a dangerous position. We see where Poe gets that brash side of him, yes. that he's willing to go that extra mile, put himself in danger for somebody that he loves. Cass goes against what he believes in and what he's fought for, you know, in the rebellion to, in order to find his son. And Poe is kind of shocked about it. It's like he hasn't had anybody do that for him at that point. You know, the the, the person that it, it almost seems like he felt cared for him the most is no longer there anymore in the shape of his mother. You know, he obviously has more in common with her in spirit than he did with Kess. Kess doesn't want that adventure anymore. And 
as his as Kess's story goes, this thing almost cost him his life. You know, he was willing mm-hmm. to do that. And then the shit at the fan, um, and you know, the last time we see Kess in the book, he's he's pretty injured. You know, he's we, he's not in a good way. Do we know if he um, survives after that? Is no, there- it's never it's never said. We're led to us to assume that he he does, but we don't know. It's but it doesn't the, was, show up anywhere else in comics or any other book or anything. Not that I can remember. We don't it, know how either of the parents have died at this point, honestly. Okay. okay. Yeah, we did, we we just yeah, Shar has been gone since he was eight, and we don't know what's gone on with Cass. But we do see, you know, that's something that he shares with Poe. He shares that sense of loyalty, um, that he's willing to make the wrong decision to get to the right end. You know what I mean? Where he he he's willing to to enlist the wrong people to try to help him. Um, and it almost backfires. Um, but we see that, you know, Poe ultimately finds himself at the heart of everything that's wrong with the Spice Runners, you know, meeting um, Ziva Bliss and finding out what's happening on Kajimi itself with this meeting of, of all of these criminals and low lives and the, the, just, just these, just these badass people. Um, and this was one of the scenes that I really, really liked in the book. And, and I'm not the type to just like, I need a list of everybody that's there so that I know. But when these names started popping up in this chapter, I got really excited. I was like, Ooh, who's this guy? Who's that guy? <laughs> but the very first name as a cameo that we get at this meeting that Ziva calls is fucking Boshek. And Boshek goes all the way back to a new hope. He's the dude that's with Chewbacca in the cantina that Obi-Wan is talking to. And he's got those sweet ass mutton chops. He's wearing his astronaut getup. Mm-hmm. And he kind of points uh, Chewbacca to, to Obi-Wan. What? And that's how they meet Han Solo um, in episode that's four. That's awesome. That's Boshek. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I heard his name, I was like, Oh shit, Alex! What'd you do to me, man? It was like it was so cool, and 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 it's just a nod. He's not in the story a bunch, but you find out that through one little line of exposition that Boshek has been a thorn in the side of the Kajimi Spice Runners for years. He's been fucking over. So um, that was really cool to have him. You know, not just so much pop up, but it's given that little nugget of a story that, like, as a fellow Carillion like Han Solo he knows how to wreck shop a little bit. You know what I mean? He, he knows how to be just, just annoying enough, but also enough of a survivor to have maintained himself at this point, what, 15 years after a new hope. So, and then, and then there's a whole host of other names that are there too, that, that also have different ties and connections and stuff. So it was really cool. It's a cool scene. Yeah. That was really exciting when they described him with the orange jumpsuit and everything. Yeah. Boshek, that was exciting. Now that was not the only uh, cameo, at in fact, the end of the book, we've got Zade. Do we remember Zade? Zade Calladay. Do you remember Wait, Zade? Eden? What? Yeah, now I do. That asshole. Yeah, that ass. That flamboyant yep. purple coat wearing asshole. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who doesn't remember Zade oh. Calladay, he was in uh, Black Spire, um, the uh, Delilah's oh, Dawson book, and I, I love Zade. I, I thought yeah, he was. A good I mean, you're meant to hate him at first, but then you come to love him. Oh. That asshole. Yeah. I, I yeah. have no idea. I love ma- oh many assholes gosh. in my life. That's why you and I are friends, Rick. So it's all good. 
<laughs> That's why I like Iron Man. <laughs> so, and that 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 comes to the end of the book, though. All of those terrible people that Zevablis draws to this meeting, how she got them there, who knows? That's its own story. Um, but Poe wants to save them. He He's not okay with them all just being slaughtered and executed. And he's got to save them all. He's such a precious little cinnamon bun. <laughs> He's got to save all these He's bad guys. He's a cinnamon roll pilot, you would a say. Cinnamon, cinnamon roll pilot. There it is. You haven't listened there to the last is. episode, did you? No. So basically, uh, <laughs> just Justina Ireland described Vernestra as a cinnamon roll Jedi. Maybe you can help <laughs> us out with this. We were all like, what the f*** is a cinnamon roll Jedi? And They're obvi- precious and delightful, and you have to hold them close to your heart forever. <laughs> just- I don't get it. <laughs> Rick was like, is she a pastry? <laughs> you guys are hilarious. <laughs> no. But um, yeah, no, as you were saying, like about Poe, this book kind of leads you from early 16-year-old Poe on mm-hmm. Yavin 4 to mm-hmm. 16, 17-year-old Poe with all this experience. And it's all believable. You all you understand why he is so positive. In fact, he he goes as far to say at one point, I believe, with uh, the droid being overly positive all the time. And somebody said, can't you be negative? And he says, no, I do not allow negativity. Yeah. That's not an option. We're going to get off of this, buddy. Yeah. We're going to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then that connects you force awakens right and he he would not have experienced that if he had seen leia giving that speech on yavin 4 and watched that instead of going after zori and melinda gone he he wouldn't have felt the same but he went through everything he went through and he saw so much of the galaxy and he saw the good and the bad and he was a part of both and he got to influence both and then he realized oh that's the side I want to be on. That's the side I want to be working for. And there we go. Yeah. That's the end. Yeah. Th- this book does a couple of other things um, for Poe's character that um, find some relevance in the sequel trilogy. You know, he came, he came to really, really like the company of EV6B6, um, the mm-hmm. joy that they find mm-hmm. uh, up on the... Um, Oh, I forget the character's name. The the, uh, the Zabrak woman who they end up fighting. Um, Ledesma. And Le- Ledesma. There you go. Ledesma. Sorry, Ledesma is one of our favorite football <laughs> players too. Uh, sorry, Ledesma. Yes. So, but EV6B6 is is destroyed uh, at one point and then rebuilt by Babu Frick um, and then destroyed a second time. And we, like it it makes sense that Poe would have such an affinity to BB-8 uh, later on, where he's he's his little buddy. He's like scratching his little droid tummy, or whatever, when they meet each other again in, uh, in Force Awakens. So um, that there's like a cool little character beat that's there. But I want to talk about that meeting um, and some of the other characters that were there and these like little Easter eggs that were thrown in there, who some of these characters are. Um, now, for anybody who watched uh, Resistance, Frankie the Hut is at this meeting. Um, he was the hut that had that casino place where they uh, they do like their racing gambling. Oh, I hated those episodes. in uh, Star Wars Resistance. Yeah, the, the, they were tough, but he was there. So yeah, he was there. Um, they get you know we get mention of the Pike Syndicate in the book. Um, there is I'm just gonna I'm not gonna mention everybody that was there, but um, 
there's uh, a character named uh, Karen, who is a she's a human female, but she was in the um, she was an NPC, uh, a non playable character in Star Wars Galaxy in like 2011. Um, it was like a mobile game, uh, and so was uh, Taryn Crow was another one who was in the Star Wars Galaxies uh, mobile game uh, back in the day. So there's a Legends characters that are now canon. We get Astrid Fenris. Mm. I don't know if the Fenris name rings any bells, but we had one of the ace pilots from Resistance, uh, Freya Fenris. So there could we've been told that there's some kind of relation. And also, Astrid Fenris was in Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, she pops by in the background, and she's got a little a little touch of a story um, from a book called Tales from Vandor, uh, which is like an in-universe uh, story. And I believe, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, a Tales from Vandor also recanonizes um, Dash Rendar. That is so, correct. Yeah. If anybody remembers those, he's, uh, he's back in the canon. So in this one, I was going over the notes today, and this one kind of blew. Oh, uh, before I even get to that one, here's two more. There's another character named Woe and Bardo, and he does not trust the um, life support systems on his own ship. So he's constantly wearing an orange like astronaut suit. But Wolwyn Bardo was in Rogue One. Um, we see Cassian and Jin walk past him on Jeddah, in Jeddah City. And he is responsible for smuggling some of the refugees from Jeddah City um, after the events of the movie. So he's like not a terrible person, uh, it seems, at that point. But he was involved in some shady things afterwards. So he was in Rogue One. He's in the um, Visual Dictionary for Rogue One. And then the last one that I want to mention, and I popped this up on Twitter just a little while ago because it made me laugh. Um, now, we know J.J. Abrams is a is a big Beastie Boys fan. And the Abinetto characters all have, supposedly all have names that are related to Beastie Boys in one way or another. Um, the uh, The pilot that's in The Force Awakens on his helmet, I believe in... Or a bash or something that says something like uh, he's got like a license to ill essentially written on, in Orbesh on his helmet. And um, I cannot remember his character's name to save my life, but it, it, it has a Beastie Boys uh, tie. Um, in this book, one of the people that's at the meeting, uh, the Abinetto character, his name is Sarb Iltaj. And if you know your Beastie Boys, um, it just it snapped right away. I was like, Alex, you sneaky son of a bitch. You threw that one in there. Um, obviously named after the song Sabotage uh, by the Beastie Boys. So that was um, a cool little nod for that. But uh, yeah, it was fun. And then, yeah, at the, the end of the book, we see, you know, you know Poe sees this, um, the hollow of Leia, and he knows where he needs to go. And that's where, you know, Zaid Calladay comes in and stuff. So um, a lot of little cool stuff. Last thing I want to mention about Kajimi, the, the planet itself is given a history and a culture. Um, that the whole planet is essentially run by criminals, but there's mention of a Dai Bendu monastery on the yes, planet. Yes, there is. Um, so there is a very, well, it doesn't exist anymore, but there was a rich history of um, possibly some force sensitives um, on the planet at, at one time or another. So that's that's an area that I wouldn't mind seeing explored a little bit. Oh yeah, like High Republic era? Yeah, that'd be it'd be cool, you know, if there's another Bendu character um out in there, or maybe the same character. Who knows? Um, but it but it's one of those little you know, sweater threads that you can just pull on it and you can have a whole nother rich story 
um, that I think would be really cool to get, especially that ben- any kind of Bendu story. Um, I know some, it, you know, the Bendu kind of rub people the wrong way from Rebels, but I loved the Bendu. Really? And give me some more. Give me some more. Um, what's the guy that voiced him? Uh, Tom uh, Tom Baker, um, one of the one of the doctors from Doctor Who. Yeah, I imagine whenever he he's at the microphone, he's got scarves hanging from the microphone, the same way Steven Tyler does when. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Steven Tyler of voice actors. Uh, what a ridiculous thought. But yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed the Bendu character um, from Rebels. That's a uh, he's whole the one other that, episode, man. Oh, yeah. Woo. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. I, I, I like what his character represents. You know, we can, we can talk specifics and, uh, again, how that rubs people the wrong way, but I like what he represents for those characters in that story thematically, which is a lot of what I enjoyed about this book um, as opposed to specific story beats. It's the thematic elements that uh, really sell this book to me. Nice. Yeah, same. Alex Segura really did a bomb-ass job on making all these little connections. This one's full of all kinds of nuggies, so it's I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. I, I really liked it. Highly recommend. Yeah. It's, it, it was, was fun. real fun talking to you guys about it. Yeah. And it was real fun getting to know a little bit about Zori Wynn, Zori Bliss's background, you know. I mean, she's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus in America too, you know. She's a good girl and she's crazy about Elvis, you know. Loves horses and her boyfriend too. Mm-hmm. Anybody? Yeah, I know that song. Because the book calls you can't free. See it, but I, I'm shaking I can't, so fucking hard at you right now. I, I can't believe you're relating to that, that, that song to my girl Zori. Well, the book's called Free Fall. Uh huh. Oh, Pete. You. <laughs> God, I hate you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun, guys. It's been real fun. Anything else to say about the book before we start closing out the show, guys? No, just I want more of Alex to write Star Wars. Um, I, I did enjoy this book. So, Alex, come back and write more Star Wars stuff. Awesome. 100% agree. So we're going to go ahead and start closing out for today. Um, First of all, I'd like to thank Eden for coming on the show today. It's always a blast when you're here with us. Thanks. Yeah. Well, and now we're going to go ahead and share all the ways that you can follow what we're up to and interact with us on social media. And our guest goes first today. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Eden Jean Gray. Or you can look up Eden Gray on on Facebook and just send me a friend request if you're if you're part of the the podcast crew because why not? I'm not the Eden Gray that's a DJ slash music maker in Europe. Nope, not that. I'm the one with the the, the dachshund in my Facebook picture. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Rick, my friend, how can people interact with you on social media and follow what you're getting into? Uh, well, you can find me. On the old uh, Twitter rotary uh, at Cad Bane's Bounty, where I'm um, finding a little Beastie Boy stuff and Alex Segura writings, and uh, we can talk Star Wars there. And uh, if there is one more thing I can talk about for next week, um, next weekend is Force Fest, which is Force our Fest. our fan run um, virtual con that we're doing in lieu of celebration. Boohoo! Um, and, uh, next week, Sunday on the 30th, myself, Tyler Bucks from Chatter Squadron and Maria from Sisters with Sabres are going to be, uh, holding a little discussion about mental health and Star Wars. Um, that's Thursday, I'm sorry, Sunday morning 
at 9.45 Central Time. Um, you can do the math wherever you're living. Um, uh, yeah, and it should be uh, enlightening. We've been kind of talking behind the scenes about the things that we want to talk about, and um, it should be a good time. So, yeah, Force Fest weekend is coming up, and uh, hopefully we'll get some some official stuff out of it. I don't think Star Wars is is exactly attached to it, um, you know, Lucasfilm at all, but maybe we'll get that Mando Season 2 trailer um, since it was supposed to be the weekend of celebration anyway. And uh, we'll have something else to talk about next week. But in the meantime, Cad Bane's Bounty on Twitter. And uh, give me a shout. Let me know you're out there. Right on. Yeah, be sure to go ahead and check all that stuff out. Now, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at WookieRedRocket oh with three E's. I'll let you decide where you want to put them. <laughs> and there you'll find me currently tweeting mostly about Power of the Force 2, uh, PGA Tour 2K21. <laughs> And uh, I'm pretty into duck comics right now. So, yeah, (laughs) give me a follow. Now, as for the show, if you want to enhance your interaction with the show beyond listening, you can find us on Twitter at JTComlink. That's how you can keep up with what the next show is going to be about and how to get your thoughts into us. Because we've got a little thing called... Comlink Chatter! You must contact me. Yeah, tell us what you think. Ask questions. We want to know. Yeah, absolutely. That's your segment where you get to speak your mind via emails, voice recordings. And you got to get those sent in to comlink, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com. And please aim to get those in before Sundays, as that's usually when we record. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher. You know, we can easily be found on Podbean and iTunes, or you can simply go to jammedtransmissions.com. Well, it's been another fun Star Wars day, guys. Always a blast getting to have Eden on the show, chatting about the final Chaos Rising excerpt and Alex Segura's Poe Dameron book. Free falling, Anna. Free falling. You guys hate me so much. <laughs> free fall. <laughs> and if you missed any links or social media info, they'll all be in the show notes. Now, as Rick said, next week, Episode 77 is currently wide open, so it's a perfect opportunity for longtime listeners and first-time callers to go ahead and send in those emails and voicemails. We would love to hear what's on your mind in that galaxy far, far away, so get those in today or no later than Saturday, August 29th, and we will definitely include it in our discussion. All right, any final thoughts, Eden and Rick? Not for me. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. It was always a blast. Well, that's going to be it for episode 76, guys. Thanks as always for listening. And I say this to you, Rick and Eden and all of our friends and listeners out there. May the force be with you. Always. She's a good girl. Okay.